Mac Power Users, episode 699, Catching Up with TJ Luoma. Hello, everyone. It's David Sparks. I am here today, joined, as always, with Mr. Stephen Hackett. How are you doing, Stephen? I'm good. I've been through a real ordeal to be here today, but I'm here. Yeah, we, we're going to get to that in just a minute. But before we do so, I want to introduce our guest today, a member of the MPU, you know, Velvet Jacket Club, yes. TJ Luoma. So, uh, sounds like diploma. Welcome to the show, TJ. Oh, Velvet. That sounds lovely. Yeah, I Thank feel you. like you, you've been here enough. You get the you get the fancy jacket. Wow is there is there a special bathroom that j- we just get to use? Well, we we mm-hmm. were going to build one, but we decided not to. You know, okay. I mean, th- there are limits to our budget. Maybe <laughs> when we get to episode seven hundred, we'll unveil a new MPU bathroom. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Member perk. TJ, welcome back to the show. It's so great to have you back. Uh, before we get into the show, TJ, though, we do have a short, sordid story here from Mr. Hackett. Stephen, how are you surviving the weather? It is, uh, we're in the middle of a heat wave in the South. And, you know, normally that would be a bummer, but it's really a bummer when like 25% of your county doesn't have power, which includes me. Oh, no. So I am not only recording just on a laptop with no, just like just on battery, it's fully charged. So I'll be okay. But I'm actually also recording on generator. So I have a little generator running on my back porch. Uh, and I have my refrigerator, my freezer, and my Wi-Fi plugged in. So here we are. I topped it off with gas. So we're good for the two hours. But it has been uh, it's been quite the week. Yeah, this is literally the first episode of MPU to be powered by petrol. I think that's yeah. kind of awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just I, I wanted to share that because, uh, you know, Stephen could have taken today off to deal with that, but you know what? He found a way to make it work, and I think that's kind of awesome. Yeah, can't miss having uh, you know a Hall of Famer on the show. Yeah, exactly. Well, well, TJ, for folks who don't know you, um, uh, you are famously an automation nerd. You've come up with some great automations and things over the years. You're an active member in the MPU forum, but uh, you're also a pastor, and uh, you, you've got your flock, and you've got a lot of stuff going on there as well. And I just always can't wait to talk to you because you're always doing fun stuff. You are the epitome of a Mac power user. And uh, thanks for coming back on the show, buddy. Oh, I'm so thrilled to be here. I couldn't believe it when I looked back and saw that last time I was on, I think was 2019. I was like, oh, the before times. Yeah. And uh, so now we can talk about everything that uh, changed my setup during COVID. And uh, I'm working from home now some. And so a lot's happened, but uh, thrilled to be back. Yeah, it is really good to have you back. And for more power users today, we're going to talk about TJ uh, wanted to talk about mental health for nerds. And I think that's a, a very interesting topic because there are ways to get help uh, using your technology. And that's the uh, extended version of the show that's ad free. If you're a more power user subscriber, we're going to be getting that later in the show today. But before we get there, I think we got to just start with a with a catch up. We're going to get there later. But before we do, we've got a little housekeeping, Stephen. Yeah, we are halfway through uh, my Kickstarter for the 2024 Apple History Calendar. Again, thank you to everyone who has backed it so far. You can get a really cool wall calendar, some awesome stickers, digital wallpapers, a digital version of the calendar. And this calendar focuses on Apple's services and retail businesses. So a bunch of stuff in there about Apple Store history and Apple's weird idea about the internet over the years, which there are... 
There are a lot of them. Uh, so yeah, so go check it out. It runs through the 14th. So just a couple of weeks left. Yeah, you know, people make fun of Microsoft with their slow adoption of the internet. But I feel like Apple has more wacky internet experiments than even Microsoft. Yeah, they had a product in the 90s called Youth Central, where like the kids could hang out online. Can can you imagine that today? Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, Youth Central, I think, was my favorite thing that I didn't know about before going into this one. Yeah. Well, you can get it on your wall and uh, just head over to Kickstarter. We got a link in the show notes. Check it out. They're great. I, I, I will restate my usual practice with the Hackett calendar. Do not turn the pages over. Enjoy looking at them as the year goes by. It's really fun because the artwork is always amazing. And definitely get the version where you get the stickers. You want the stickers. Uh, anyway, uh, TJ, uh, you are at rhymeswithdiploma.com as your uh, your main home on the internet. But what you know, tell us a little about yourself for folks that missed the 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 2019 episode. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, I'm uh, celebrating my 25th year of uh, ordained ministry. I'm a minister in the uh, Presbyterian Church uh, USA. Uh, if you ever want a fun time, go and look up Presbyterians on Wikipedia, and you can see all the different branches of Presbyterianism. <laughs> it looks like a weeping willow on a high wind. We've, we've had our splits in the past. Um, I've been in my current congregation for about six years, and uh, which means that it's been basically half, uh, I was here about three years before COVID. And now I'm hitting about three years after COVID. And uh, I'm speaking of calendars. I've got the calendar here, the, the 2023 calendar. I'm looking forward to turning it over in a few days because I'm taking the month of July off, uh, which is always, and I did this last year for the first time. Uh, of course, you work on Sundays in the church, uh, but I do get a good amount of vacation time. And rather than kind of taking it piecemeal, uh, started last year taking it in a big chunk. Uh, there is a lot of technology, believe it or not, in the church. Uh, that was true even before uh, Zoom church and all the other stuff that uh, went along with COVID changes and things like that. But uh, I do find myself quite often, uh, just today actually, was running through how to, with the church secretary, how to go from you know, cutting the uh, cutting up the video from Zoom to posting it on the website uh, with the church secretary. So um, there, there's a lot of technology going back to you know starting with the printing press and going now to Zoom and Vimeo. Well, you know, it, I I always find it funny that we have a huge contingent in our audience of religious folk of of all stripes. You know, we've heard from Buddhists, we've heard from Muslims and Christians and. Uh, so many preacher types are using technology because that's how you get, you know, that's one of the better ways you can use to get to people, you know, and, and communicate with them and understand what they're looking for. And I always find it, it interesting because we hear from so many of them. I didn't realize, you know, what a high percentage of them are, are using technology. Cause I grew up, I was an altar boy, the priests I work with, I mean, they, they had no technology in their life, but there's a lot of Catholic uh, priests now that are very involved. In fact, uh, Brother Gabriel, I think he was on the show at one point, mm-hmm. is, uh, who's now a priest, uh, is also very highly, you know, involved with using technology. It's yeah, you're not alone there. No, and I usually hear from folks after uh, I'm, I'm on, or uh, folks who find me on the forums and go, "Oh, it's great to f- you know find another pastor who's involved in in tech nerdyism." So, uh, yeah, we're, we're definitely out there. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. It makes sense. And uh, so what is the gear you're using these days? I mean, one thing that's happened since the last time 
you were on the show is Apple changed its underlying um, uh, architecture to Apple Silicon from Intel. Yeah, that was a big change, obviously. And I, I jumped right on that. I had a, um, I had traded in my MacBook Air for a 16-inch Intel MacBook Pro uh, early on in COVID because I was, you know, running Zoom church and we started out just recording me and then we decided we wanted to do, you know, sort of everybody on a big Zoom call. And um, I'll tell you, even with the 16-inch uh, Core i9, I think it was, uh, the, the fans were, you know, flaring up and, you know, I could hear the fans on the recording and uh, it was just distracting in the whole thing. And uh, so I grabbed an uh, M1 MacBook Air pretty much as soon as it was available. I uh, traded in my MacBook Pro for it uh, and absolutely love it. I mean, the thing is just, it, it runs cold almost. I mean, it's just amazing yeah. uh, the difference. And I had the 12-inch the MacBook Adorable, uh, which I had loved too. And I still wish they would go back and make one of those again. But the the 13-inch MacBook Air um, is my sort of primary, you know, everyday uh, computer. Um, and I got that with, uh, I think with 16 gigs of Ram and a terabyte hard drive, uh, absolutely love that machine and, and hope that it, I li- hope it lasts for a long time, David. I know you've, you've said before, you think the, in- the Sil- Apple Silicon Macs are going to last for a long time. And I hope this one will, because it was, it was an investment, but it was a good investment. Uh, and I, um, I've been really thrilled with it and, and haven't really been tempted by the, you know, of course, as every, everything new comes along and, and, uh, and some people on the call like to update their Mac equipment very often. I won't point names. Uh, I won't point fingers or name names, but well, I, uh, I think you could point them anywhere at this point. I am definitely well, I guilty. Gonna, I was going to choose who, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but no, I, I definitely can't, uh, can't point fingers. Cause like I said, I, I changed, uh, two computers fairly quickly from that, uh, during that time. And then, uh, you know, it's one of these things when we've been talking about backups, it's always one of my things is talking about backups and, and uh, bootable backups have become a much more complicated situation in the Apple Silicon era. Yeah, yeah, we should talk about that for a second. I don't think we've kind of brought it up because, you know, historically Carbon Copy Cloner and Super Duper made it very easy to create a bootable backup. But now there's a bunch of hoops to jump through and I'm not entirely confident that it's going to work anyway. Um, where these clone software now are, are much doing a much better job of cloning stuff, they're not necessarily making it bootable. Yeah, and Howard Oakley's had a couple of great articles on his uh, eclecticlight.co uh, website um, talking about how this has gotten more complicated. And um, so, <laughs> again, in a kind of, you know, let's not point fingers at anybody. Instead of having a, boot, a bootable backup, I got a backup Mac. Um, I, went on Amazon, <laughs> I went on Amazon and I found myself an M1 Mac Mini. Yeah. Uh, and I've got that set up in my desk, uh, in my, my office at home here, and um, got it set up with the, the ultrafine monitor, which works great for me. I know it, it's usual to, to hate on it, but uh, it's worked great for me. I had a Dell monitor before that didn't work with any of the media keys on the, with Mac OS. And, uh, the only mistake I made was that I got it with half a terabyte of, uh, 500 gigs of SSD. And boy, let me tell you what a mistake that was. And, you know, we say it all the time, you know, the, the hard drive space, you can't, you can't expand on it. Um, I did to kind of make up for it in a way I went with uh, Mac sales. OWC has something called a mini stack, mm-hmm. which kind of looks like a Mac mini. 
Yeah. You can put a couple of SSDs in. Yeah. And I did that afterwards. But, you know, when I added all that up afterwards, I thought, you know, I probably would have spent just as much money to get a real nice amount of hard drive inside my uh, my Mac Mini. But one of the reasons I bought it through Amazon is because I can, when I spend a certain amount of money, I can pay it off over 18 months. And uh, that was one of the realities of, you know, sure. my financial situation. And so that's what I ended up doing. But Boy, in hindsight, I really wish. And it's also hard to have one machine with a, one amount of storage and one with a different one because it's like, oh, I, I feel like I've got plenty of space over here, but over here I'm constrained. And and now, of course, it's difficult to figure out exactly how much free space you've got on your Mac in the first place, which is a whole other issue. So Yeah, yeah. even that's more complicated than it, than it used to be. Yeah, yeah. And it's one of these things that's like, this seems like it should be a very simple number to show me, but... Uh, you know, all of a sudden I'm down to under 100 gigabytes and then I'm back up to 200 and something. And I I, I try really hard not to stress about it. But uh, uh, like I said, with that external storage, that's where I try to keep all my important files. And of course, I'm still running Backblaze and got uh, all that stuff backing up to the cloud. And I've got a, a local backup here that I run as well. So I think I'm good, but it's just uh, not having enough internal storage is just a big bummer. Yeah, and it's like it's not like the old days where you could crack it open and just replace the drive. It it really is a one time decision. Yeah. In, in your case, you were buying it as, you know, your backup Mac, and it didn't match the storage of the one you were backing up. So that even would probably make you leery about putting more than five hundred gigabytes on your main Mac because then suddenly the backup isn't working right. Well, and the other thing that happened too is that now Dropbox can't be on an external drive. Yeah. And I always had my Dropbox folder on an external drive and, you know, that way I could have my, you know, full downloaded ba- Dropbox folder and now I can't do that either. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's definitely been a, my my next internal storage bill is going to be expensive, but uh, I think it'll be worth it. Yeah. You know, I just did that and I spent more than I should have, but it like it's one of those things that was painful when you bought it but afterwards it's so nice cuz you just don't have to worry about it i would say that you know in general i mean apple did this for security reasons they they're making it just harder generally to have something boot up your mac automatically when you plug it into to keep the bad guys from using that as a strategy against you um but it it does really change the backup strategy for a lot of people in fact i think we probably need to add that to a feedback show to talk about, you know, ways around that and what we do, Steve, and the next time we do a feedback show. Because I think a lot of people are kind of hitting a wall right now with mm-hmm. their backup strategies since clones don't work anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's it's amazing how the security model has touched so many things. I mean, we were just talking about Dropbox and it underwent its change. I think most people have gone through now where it moves to the yeah. new cloud storage API stuff and your Dropbox is actually like hidden somewhere in your library folder and it makes an alias is all very strange. I've yeah. had uh, quite a bit of, of problems with that, including a couple of weeks ago when I was on vacation, my Dropbox is being empty all of a sudden and I paused it and restarted the oh, sync no. and then it redownloaded everything. I was like, Oh, I don't, I don't like this. Like what is oh, happening? No. Yeah. It's all, you know, cause I make a living uh, uploading uh, recordings and we use Dropbox as a backbone for that. And I had all these automations that just one day stopped working. So now I'm super <sighs> careful to make sure things get uploaded to Dropbox. So it, and again, it's safer. Um, they're more of a team player on the Apple ecosystem because they've done this, which I, I appreciate. 
but it does make it a little worse too. <laughs> and I'm sure they, I'm sure they're not super happy about it either, but it, it just kind of is what it is. And I'm happy to have a secure computer. And sometimes I know that has a trade-off. So that's your, your Mac strategy and how that's uh, changed a little bit. Where are you with the iPad? The iPad's been a big change too. Um, my son went off to college. Uh, he's a music education major and uh, he took my 12.9 inch iPad Pro uh, because I loaned it to him once for working with a sheet music on the piano. Mm-hmm. And he had a he had an old iPad. I think it was a 9.7 inch to tell you how old it was. And uh, he was like, oh, this is great. I, just, I was able to you know see it. It was so great to work with and the whole thing. And uh, so I wasn't using it as much. So I gave him my, uh, iPad pro I, to tell you the truth. I didn't feel like I really needed an iPad pro and I wasn't really sure iPad pro was for me. Um, and so I replaced it with an iPad air, uh, fifth generation, you know, the, the new one. Um, I did get the uh, incredibly expensive keyboard and trackpad that go with it. Cause it's just such a better device with it. Although yeah. it, Agreed. It, it pains you to, that's another bill that, you know, it, yeah. it's, it hurts when you first buy it, but then it's great to have. It's almost feels like buying a second iPad when you buy the <laughs> keyboard. <laughs> it does. I don't know why it's not. I mean, it's less than that, but it's not that much less, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's pretty close to the iPad, the base model iPad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. And, uh, but I, the iPad I use most actually is I've got an iPad mini with cellular and this is my reading, uh, you know, sort of hanging out at the end of the day device. Um, I, I've got no notifications on the thing whatsoever. Uh, it's it's my my Apple Kindle, really. And I, I've got, you know, not just books and Kindle books on there. I've got some audio books. I've got my uh, RSS stuff on there. Um, and, you know, it's just one of these things that's fun to ha- be able to grab and take with me wherever I go and know I can get online without, without having to worry about tethering and uh, so that's the one that I, I really end up using a lot. Matter of fact, I've, I've used it to read um, a couple of pages documents that I've used for uh, weddings and funerals. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll put a script, you know, in a pages file in my iCloud and then I'm not trying to shuffle papers while I'm standing up in front of everybody. And I've, I've got this nice black cover on it and makes it look maybe like a Bible if people aren't really paying attention to what I'm holding. <laughs> Uh, you know, and that description is an Apple Kindle. I I think that really lands for the way a lot of people are using that iPad mini. It, it, you know, you read books, you consume a little content on it, do a tiny bit of work, but but it's in the Apple ecosystem. I like that. Now, do you use the iPad Air in your work at all? Uh, a little bit. Mostly, you know, again, if, if I want to be somewhere else, and what I've been doing lately is leaving my... Uh, MacBook Air at the church. Yeah, um, I'm there a couple of days a week, and I'm home a couple of days a week, working from home a couple of days a week. So, uh, if I need, you know, sometime in the evening, if I don't want to be in the office and want to be working on something, I, I use the. And again, that's the great thing with the keyboard is I can work on a, a pages document or bang out some emails. And um, as we'll talk about later, a lot of my life revolves around dealing with emails, so it's a great machine for dealing with that. And and. David, you've mentioned too about, you know, not trying to make the iPad do more than it can do. And I had that kind of same journey where I got to a point where I was like, I- I'm going to focus this on what I'm really good at doing. Yeah. And uh tell you, one of the fun things I've been doing with it uh, is uh, sometimes I use it as a second screen at the office when uh, I'm working on the, on the iPad and I'm working on my MacBook Air 
and use the iPad as a second screen to watch uh, Major League Baseball because uh, I've got a Major League Baseball subscription. And that's a great screen for that. Uh, way too expensive to buy for that. But uh, it's been a fun thing to uh, to do with that. And, and you know, I don't have a TV in my office, but uh, it gives me the next best thing. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like the iPad, if you have one, it's not a reason to buy one, but putting it on a stand next to your Mac, I mean, I, I'm, I keep banging the drum for the status board, you know, iPad model. But I mean, even just to play YouTube videos or use it as a, you can make it a, uh, I keep wanting to say caboose, but it's a sidecar. <laughs> I didn't say caboose, but the, uh, it's a sidecar. iPad caboose. You know, it's a, it's a vehicle, you ride in it. But yeah, using it in sidecar mode where you can just drag a Mac app over to it or, uh, you know, the iPad apps are largely good enough for media consumption. Like you could put the Apple app on there and, you know, play Ted Lasso in the background, although you should never play Ted Lasso in the background. You should watch it. Uh, yeah, but, yeah, absolutely. But, but baseball is like sports is, are a good example because a lot of times, you know, not a lot's going on and you can have it playing in the background with no trouble. Yeah, it's, it's worked out great. And and again, like you said, it, just having it as a, a second screen, not necessarily connected to my Mac and like sidecar mode, but as a sidecar or or I, I'm going to, that caboose thing is going to stick with me. I'm going to definitely hang on to that. Sorry about that. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> apologize to the audience. You're on the iPhone 12, right? Yes. I've got the iPad 12 Pro Max. Uh, and I realized as I was thinking about this, that this is the longest I've gone since the iPhone arrived uh, without upgrading. Uh, now, part of that is that my son needed to upgrade his phone when it came around. And and the 12 still doing fine for me. Uh, the 13 and 14, you know, were had some cool things in it, but I wasn't really all that drawn to it. I'm I'm expecting that I'll get the 15 when it comes out this fall. But uh, my son dropped his phone last year and uh, needed a. Fortunately, it was under Apple Care, and so we we ended up replacing his. Um, no, I'm sorry, that was the second one was under Apple Care. We got him a new phone, and like the next weekend, it fell, popped out of its Apple case, and broke. So I replaced two iPhones in two weeks. Yikes. Yeah. 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 You, you know, it's bad when I called up Apple to tell them that I needed to send one in and I went to give them the IMEI number and they said, oh no, we still have it here on file from when we sent you the last one last week. Yikes. Well, Apple Care, baby. <laughs> I think it's good when you're giving phones to children of any age. I a good friend told me that uh, when you have adulting children, you know, like young 20s, mm-hmm. it's like having a poor friend that thinks you're rich. And yes. <laughs> I, I really feel that there's some truth to that. Cause, and as a parent, we're so, I, I find like my daughter, my da- one of my daughters is a teacher, and like they, they wouldn't give her an iPad and she really wanted one. I gave her mine. You just like, you just give them yeah. stuff, you know, you can't help yep. yourself. And um, he's super responsible. I mean, this was just yeah. an unfortunate event and the, you know, it just it just fell the right way that it literally the Apple's own case popped off the thing and it landed, you know, and got had no protection when it landed. So, yeah. hey, I can't um, I can't judge. I mean, things yeah, happen. You, you really can't. <laughs> Stephen, we still need to pray over your truck. I'm I'm I, this first time we've talked since you had your accident. Man, we people jumped really quickly into making fun of that situation. But that must have been scary, man. I'm, I'm glad you're OK. M- most people were cool about it. But yes. Uh, it was scary, but uh, the new one is safely upright in my driveway. I'm yeah. glad. I don't know if Stephen ever published pictures of what the truck looked like afterwards, like publicly, but 
you know, first told me it was an accident. I felt like, oh, that's on brand for Steven, you know. <laughs> but then I saw <laughs> the Steven. picture. When I saw the picture of the truck, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm, yeah. I'm glad you're okay. Well, yeah. being upside down, uh, that's all you need to hear. I mean, that that yeah. seems to, yeah, that should never happen. Uh, anyway, uh, TJ, for the first time, you got an Apple Watch. Tell us I about did. that. I did. I yeah. did. You know, I've always had a problem wearing watches. And so when the Apple Watch came out, I was like, oh, that looks nice, but I can't wear watches. And for some reason, somewhere along the line, I got into the point where I was like, really kind of frustrated about the whole thing. And I saw one on Woot and they had refurbished ones. And I'm like, I'm just going to buy one and see if it fits and see if it's okay and see if it bothers my wrist. And I tried it on and it felt perfect. And now I'm like eight years behind everybody else who's had an Apple watch. And I'm <laughs> trying to learn, the, <laughs> trying to learn the basics on this thing. But uh, I do, I've got a, a Apple watch and product red and I've got a pride band on it. Uh, and I get a lot of nice compliments on it and I know what time it is. And <laughs> I get a lot of, I've, again, I've, I'm, I'm really harsh on notifications, basically do and messages mm-hmm. yeah. are the only things that get through. Uh, but it's really useful for that. Yeah, and if you, and if you are harsh on notifications, and you know when your wrist taps, it's it's important. And, exactly. Uh, you yeah, know, it allows you to keep your phone in your pocket more. I, th- I think there's a lot to be said for it. And if you're out there and you're worried about like I don't want to wear a watch, I would recommend like TJ get yourself one of those like fabric. I, I imagine your Pride Band is one of those fabric ones. Mm-hmm. Um, you get you get a breathable strap, and that makes it a lot more comfortable if you're worried about that. Yeah, it's been great. And um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm you know, I, <laughs> it's, it is sort of weird to, to be the, you know, the, the, the last kid on the block to get this thing and be like, wow, why isn't anybody talking about how cool this is? And be like, <laughs> well, we talked about it seven years ago when everyone else got one. Or how old is the Apple Watch now? Eight uh, years, nine years? Yeah, 20, it went for sale in 2015. So we're getting there. Yeah. What yeah. is time? Yeah. What a no journey. And, I will I will say just we're going to talk about the new software when it releases but I feel like this year's beta software for the watch is so much better. It don't, like it changes the way stop, you use the watch. Stop. Yeah, yeah, don't do that. I I I'm the it scares me to because when you my understanding is once you put the beta on you can't go back and pretty and much that that's a one way trip, yeah, on the watch. Yeah, but, but I I want to do it too, but you're leading me into temptation. It sounds like maybe Steven yeah, Steven makes the Mac power users. I feel like, you know, hmm. it, it's a little it's a little cowardly yeah. not to just, uh, just <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Came That's, right at you. Yeah. yeah. Who promised not to buy a computer this year? <laughs> I know. I know. I do I do want to back up to notifications on the watch for a second. My, my advice to anyone, you know, starting out with the Apple Watch is to do exactly what you've done and be ruthless with notifications because out of the box, the watch is just going to mirror what you have on your phone. And a lot of people who I talk to and, you know, family and friends, they don't necessarily want that. And I think the watch is much more useful that when it vibrates, you know, it's really important, right? So it's not going off every time you get a notification on your phone. It's really a way to whittle down to just what's really vital to you. And, you know, that changes over time. Like I revisit mine, you know, every once in a while, but I still think that out of box the watch is just too too noisy for its own good. Absolutely true. Yeah, yeah. It was an adjustment at, at first. Although I'm I'm even on my phone, I'm pretty you know strict about what gets through. But mm-hmm. 
It was amazing, even to me, to find out how many I had. And yeah, it took a little time, but not that much time. And and now everything, you know, just uh, notifications get denied more than they get allowed. So now that I've got it set up, it's it's really useful. Like you said, when you when you feel that tap and can just look down and know that it's not going to be something where you're going to roll your eyes or be disappointed that you looked at it, it's a whole different experience. There's one last thing here we have to talk about. TJ, you're still duct taping. Uh, discs to your your monitor <laughs> i shared that just for steven i knew i knew he would love to hear that uh, not on my laptop anymore um that's good but yeah uh, okay I, just I, for the I've, listeners at one point dj sent us a picture of his laptop with an ssd just taped to the back of the lid and you know i know steven disapproves of some things i've done but i i, I will say i've never done that <laughs> yeah that that was that was kind of out there yeah <laughs> Um, you know, it was funny. I was actually going to plug my, my, uh, podcast mic back in and I had totally forgotten that they were there. And I went around the back of my computer and I'm like, Oh, Hey guys, I forgot you were there. But, uh, again, it goes back to not having enough internal storage. You know, I just, um, and some of these are, are, you know, one of them's for time machine. And the other one is, um, I still do run a carbon copy cloner, even though it's, it's making a clone, not a bootable backup, whatever. But, uh, Still, they're still, still there. backup. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And they're SSDs, but uh, I didn't want Steven to feel like, you know, I totally abandoned him and mm. I knew how much this meant to him. Yeah. That sums up my feelings. I think. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Go to onepassword.com slash MPU today. Get 20% off your subscription. These days, there's a lot of digital data we carry around that we need to keep secret. And that's just not passwords. It's also information about your social security or your medications or whatever it is that you need to keep private. 1Password is the application to take care of all of that for you. 1Password can securely store all of your secret data, your credit cards, your passwords. All you have to do is sign up for 1Password and remember that 1Password. That's why they named it. With 1Password, you can set up shared vaults for easy family or team's access, so you can share just the data you need. And you can share any 1Password item with anyone, even if they don't use 1Password. No longer do you have to put your passwords in text message threads or write it down on a sticky note. You can send it securely with 1Password to anyone. One of my favorite features about 1Password is the way they monitor and mitigate risks for you. They look for potential breaches with the companies you work with, They even keep a list of the passwords that get out on the dark web and they compare it to yours and they let you know if they believe your passwords have been compromised. This is so much more than just a place to store passwords. It is a security suite. Everybody needs one because the bad guys are out there and they're looking for you. Another thing I love about 1Password is their view on privacy. They can't see what you store in 1Password, so they can't use it, share it, or sell it, and neither can anyone else. You've heard about some of these password breaches with some of these other less secure services. They're regularly audited by third-party audits, and they have a huge bug bounty to help them act on threats before they can affect you. It is a secure solution to store your data, but it also gives you the convenience of having that data with your 1Password. Listen, if you want to check it out and learn more, go to onepasswordcom MPU. They've got a 20% off discount for MPU listeners. Uh, we're both big fans and users of this application. Uh, you do need help on the internet protecting yourself. 
1Password can do that. Go check it out today. TJ, you mentioned a little while ago that a lot of your working life revolves around email. And I'm curious what things you've put in place to manage all that. Oh boy, this is where I'm, I'm going to get, I'm going to get feedback. Um, so I, I've got, I get a lot of email. I get a lot of personal email. I got a lot of, you know what they, they call bacon, you know, that stuff that you, you kind of want, but you, you know, don't want clogging up your stuff. And I got a lot of stuff from the church, a lot of stuff. If somebody thinks about something related to the church, they email, you know, three people and they copy me on it. And then those people reply and they copy me on it. And so pretty much anytime there's a conversation going on around church, I'm getting email about it. So I've done this thing, which I've had in place for a while now, and it's going to sound a little nutty, but I, it's worked for me, which is I've got three email apps. I've got Fastmail, and on the Mac, I'm using an app called Fmail2. I've got my church email, which is in MimeStream. Nope, which is in MailMate. Uh, and I've got MimeStream, which is set up for my Gmail account. Now, my Gmail account is the account that I've had for ages. It was posted on websites back before we realized what a terrible idea that is. So it gets a lot of spam. It gets a lot of emails. It's got, you know, when you have to give someone your email and you're not sure you want to give them your email? Mm -hmm. Well, that's the email address that I give to people is my Gmail address. Sorry if you're somebody I've given my Gmail address to. (laughs) And you're you're now just now hearing that this is how I'm sorting things. Uh, But it it really helps me segregate, in a good sense, the different contexts of if I'm if I'm not working, I don't open my work email app. And mm-hmm. there's no chance that I'm going to accidentally see my work email because that is a killer to me. It's just, you know, one of these things where you're just having a good day and all of a sudden you hear about something that, you know, you didn't need to hear about until you were back at work. But now that you've heard about it, you've got to deal with it. And conversely, if I'm working, I can shut off my personal email and not you know, get deal with, you know, forwards from family members and, you know, other things. My, my personal email gets probably the fewest of these. Um, it's again, kind of like notifications. I'm kind of brutal with my personal email address that I, I've kept that to pretty much a, a small group of people. So when I get an email there, it's usually something important. Uh, although that's the, because it's the one I've got my Amazon account with, I get a lot of stuff from Amazon. Although, uh, I, I keep unsubscribing from things and then finding out that I've been subscribed to something else. So, um, that's the, that's the beginning part of it. I've got a lot of email accounts. I do the same thing on my phone. Although on my phone, I tend to just triage email. I do most of my email work on my, on my Mac. Well, well, let me interrupt there just for a minute. I, I don't think you're out on an Island with the idea of using different apps for different, uh, phases of your life. And this is something I think some of these uh, mail apps could do a better job of, frankly, is giving you a way to to segregate stuff where you just want to do personal or yeah. work. And and Apple tried to do that, you know, last year when they said, like, for instance, certain mailboxes can not show up, you know, depending on which focus mode you're in. And I think that that's a step in the right direction. But what you're doing is is probably the easiest way to do it with existing technologies to say, okay, personal mail goes in this account and this mail app and work stuff goes on this other thing. And if you check your personal mail on the weekend, there's no risk of you getting sidetracked with the work thing. Yeah. And that, that's, I think MimeStream is trying to do that if you've got multiple Gmail accounts, but yeah, you know, I, 
I, I, th- I think for me, I just really like the peace of mind knowing that like this icon means this thing. Um, yeah. and it means like my Gmail stuff, I can scan through really quickly. Mark them all as read if I need to and not have to worry about like, you know, I'm missing an email member, an email from a congregation member or something like that. Now I want to talk about fast mail for a second. We've talked about this on the show a few times. I have switched to fast mail about two years ago and I've been very, very happy with the transition. Uh, if you're not going to use the Google stuff, I think fast mail is probably the next, the next thing you should look at. They've got online rules. It's very powerful. Um, it seems like it's run very efficiently and they know what they're doing, but You've emailed me a couple times about this FastMail app for the Mac, FMail 2. And I've, I haven't tried it yet, to be honest with you. It's on my list. But, but tell me why, if uh, I'm using a FastMail account, I should be using that in lieu of something like Apple Mail. Quite frankly, I just don't like Apple Mail very much. Okay, well, that's fair. Um, You're not alone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, the, this FMail 2 app is um, it, it basically just a wrapper around the website. So it would be akin to something like Mailplane used to be for, for Google. Yeah. Um, it gives me quick access to setting up rules and filters, which is something I've tried to, to do a lot. Um, so that's, that's why I'm using it. And I just like having a separate app for my email. Um, and I, I, I just, I have kind of given up on mail app. I, I'm, I keep hoping that it's going to get, you know, that, that Apple attention that a couple of apps have gotten over the past few years, but it never seems to be the year for mail. Just like I had my revelation about iPad and how you use the iPad, my revelation on mail apps is you just have to find one you don't hate. Yes. You, you don't look yeah. for one you love. Although I, I'm hearing ruminations, you know, that, that we may be getting that, that the gang that's doing Mimestream may be looking at fast mail as like their next implementation. And I hope that's true. I don't know. I haven't talked to anybody over there, but I'm just hearing things that might be good. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, one of the, my, my main tools for filtering stuff is, you know, I've in my Gmail account that I've had for a, a long time. I've, I've got a lot of filters set up for mailing lists and things that I'm on, but um, I've been a SaneBox user for over 10 years. I don't, I know they've been a sponsor in the past. I don't know if they're sponsoring now, but they're just fantastic. And, and let me tell you that saying later that just will identify a new email and, and put it into a secondary folder is great. But I think my favorite feature is still that same black hole uh, where I can just drag an email and know I'm never going to hear from this person yeah. again. Preach it. Yeah. Because um, I will, I will click your unsubscribe link, but I don't trust that I'm going to actually be unsubscribed from everyone that I unsubscribe to. <laughs> yeah. In fact, some of them, some of the more nefarious folk, use the unsubscribe button to confirm that that's a live body at the other end. Exactly. And then they just use it more. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. You know. yep. And my, my second trick, and I, I don't know if this is as well known. I know Sanebox can do this, but Fastmail can also do this is I've got a few folders set up where emails only last a few days. Uh, I use this for, you know, the, those deals, emails that come in. Like I get one from audible every day that tells me what's on sale at audible uh, which is, you know, come, come in useful, but the deal, deals only last one day. So there's no reason to keep seven days worth or 30 days worth. Um, so it can automatically delete emails after a certain number of days. And I think same mail or I think fast mail has got it. So it can be like one day, three days, seven days, 30 days, something like that. And, um, one of the things I've found with this is that then when I go back to my email and I'm searching for something, it's much easier to find what I'm looking for because there's not all this other cruft that in there that's giving me false positives on, on searches. 
and again, I think it just makes me feel good to know that I'm, I'm throwing away email automatically, that my computer is doing it for me or, or my email provider is doing it for me. Um, obviously, you've got to be careful with this, but you know it, it's easy to, to filter things into uh, specific folders and then say, okay, empty this folder, em- <clears throat> empty emails from this folder after 30 days. And uh, I, I just, again, there's something about that that just makes me happy. Yeah, I have a, a folder that I kind of think of as like opportunities I may want to pursue. Sometimes emails come in with something like that, but I don't want to decide on it in the moment. And I'll put it in that folder and I have it. If if I don't pursue it in 30 days, it just deletes the email. And Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a little more extreme, I guess. But, you know, that's life, right? <laughs> you know, uh, I just can't deal with the mental weight of all those emails sitting there. And uh, I'm trying to get like more brutal about it. Yeah. I mean, every email can be a possibility, but not every email is one, you know, yeah. it's yeah. so the same box and fast mail at the same time uh, there. I mean, they do have overlapping features. What, what is your favorite part of Sanebox versus fast mail? And, and I I'll disclose that they are a sponsor of the show on occasion. I have no idea if they're sponsoring the show or not. Well, yeah, you know, I, I think the, the thing I like about fast mail is how reliable it is. Yeah. Um, you know, the, and it, it is, you know, literally fast mail. It, it's, yeah. you know, when I'm using it, um, even when I'm using it as an IMAP client, uh, it, it works really well. It works really quickly. Um, and Sanebox again is identifying new emails and stuck sticking them into Sane later or my inbox, depending on, you know, yeah. with what their algorithm thinks. So I think they work really well together. Um, I've got, you know, and then if there's something that needs its own folder in, in FastMail, I can set up a filter for it, but I don't have to. You know, that same later covers a multitude of sins where, uh, you know, if stuff goes into that, then it's good enough. I don't need to set up my own rule for it. And um, they're easy enough to set up, but they're just, it's time consuming. And, you know, the, I just like the, the automaticness of having SaneBox set up there. One thing I've been doing, you talked earlier about how you, you get on a project related to, to the congregation and then suddenly the email starts flying fast and furious as I've started to um, respond to that whenever it gets like out of control and fairly early in the process, those can get out of control is I just set up a shared page, whether it be a Google doc or an Apple note or a craft page, it kind of depends who I'm dealing with. And I just say, everybody, I send an email, said, this is where we will deal with this from now on. You know, no longer goes an email. And um, you can use Text Expander to set that up as a template. So if it's like a common style project, but the whole idea is to get it out of the inbox and just say, if you know you have questions or updates, update this document and don't send everybody email. And I have found that people are shockingly receptive to that. And it has really helped kind of get rid of that busy work email you were talking about. Well, that sounds great. I'm not sure my folks are tech savvy enough to accept uh, something like this, but uh, <laughs> it, it, that may be, that may be me underselling them, but uh, I may try that next time I, I see an opportunity. Yeah. You got to find a platform that's easy. Like a Google doc is usually most people can find their way into a Google doc. If you give them a link. And then when you hit the sharing of it, you say that it's not like, you don't have to authorize each person. There's a way to share a Google Doc and say anybody with a link can can come in here. Yeah, but you know, I deal with a lot of nerds, so that may be a little bit of a bias <laughs> there. It's a good problem to have. What are some of your other tricks for dealing with email? Oh, I mean, some of it is just personal. Um, 
I, I almost want to say like personal training. Like I don't, I don't badge email ever. Um, I, I just, you know, it gives, gives me anxiety just to see that I've got, you know, this number of unread emails and almost all the time it's nothing bad is in there. Usually if, if something dire has happened, I'm going to get a phone call rather than an email, but, um, you know, it really doesn't matter how many emails I've got sitting in my Gmail folder or my Gmail account type of thing. And so, you know, why would I let that, why would I let that badge sit there and, and mm-hmm. tell me that, you know, I've got 57 unread emails and, and things like that. Um, uh, I, I think, you know, one of the, the key points for me is just getting to a point place where I feel healthy about email where I feel like email is no longer a thing that I'm scared of or overwhelmed by. And this combination of, of systems and really the, the setting up of the different systems has helped that. Um, but it's also a place where I feel like I've gone through it and I've checked it and now I'm done with it for a while. Like my, um, my work email doesn't sit open all day. You know, I'll, I'll open it in, in the morning just to check to make sure, you know, everything's uh, copacetic. And then I'll open it again at noon and then I'll open it again at like three or four o'clock before I'm getting ready to go. Um, so I try not to live in my email. I think that's, you know, a very common sort of tip for -hmm. people, but that's one that, you know, again, for my life, for my work, it doesn't require me to live there. I'm not, you know, waiting on sales responses or things like that, that, you know, Stephen might be dealing with, or, or Mike might be dealing with it, you know, type of thing. So I can do that. I know not everybody can. I actually have a, a keyboard maestro set up that quits my work mail app at 6 p.m. You know, hopefully that doesn't, you know, <laughs> I, it was funny. We happened to have a meeting last night at 6 o'clock, and I had my email open for that, and all of a sudden it just went away. And I'm like, what happened? And I'm like, oh, right, I automated myself. <laughs> yeah, I like that. But, you know, again, that's just one of the things that when I sit down on my computer at, you know, 10 o'clock at night just to, you know, do something for myself, I don't want to accidentally see my inbox. And so I've set up a system where, uh, you know, my email client has gone away for a while. Um, Marco Armand's got that great quitter app that can, you know, just automatically quit apps after they've been idle for a, a yeah, while. You I know, love might want to might want to set that up for your email client because, again, I had this experience several years ago when I was working on my, my doctor. Um, I was meeting with the director of the program and we were having this really intense conversation, but every time her email dinged, she turned swiveled in her chair 90 degrees to check what the email was. And it really disrupted our whole flow of conversation because she would check it. It wouldn't, you know, obviously seem to be that important that she needed to deal with it. She'd swivel back to me and she'd go, now where were we? Mm. Yeah, And I just rough. thought, Wow, that's, you know, and I don't think, you know, again, she was in a position of responsibility and that was, you know, she obviously felt like she needed to do that in her job. I don't feel the need to do that in my job. And if someone's in my office talking to me, you know, even hearing that ding go off and and that I've got a message, you know, people, if people think you're too busy to be with them and to talk with them, they're less likely to come and talk to you. And as a pastor, I think that's really important that people feel like they've got my full attention when they're they're talking to me. Mm-hmm. And whether I'm on the phone or whether they're in my office and we're just sitting there chatting, I don't want them to have that that signal that, oh, he's got other things to do. Because my most important thing is that person in front of me. 
And I don't want anything pulling my attention apart either. Do you get people uh, giving you a hard time about not responding fast enough to email? Is that an issue at all for you? You know, it really isn't. If I, because I usually respond, you know, either the same day or the next day. And again, I think people get used to what you teach them. Yeah. And people have learned that, you know, if they need something immediate from me, um, and I've got some, I've got a, there's a note in the bulletin, but for example, that says, Pastor Tim does not check his email on the weekends. If something, if there's an emergency, call him. Um, yeah. And I'll tell you, there's a lot of things that aren't emergency enough to get a phone call about that I would get an email about. Sure. And, you know, again, so people are just used to that. And so, you know, when there was something that came up and somebody did call me, they said, oh, you know, I know that you don't check your email. So I wanted to let you know. And I was happy about that. And we were able to, you know, get, get a, have a conversation about it. And we dealt with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but people have really learned. And, and again, I, I think people are willing to be flexible about it if they know what to expect. And I think they've learned what to expect from me. Yeah, I think so much of it is setting those expectations, right? You can't always do it. You know, you mentioned sales. That's definitely something where you can set some expectations, but you're still kind of always monitoring. But I think for a lot of people, you know, the people that you converse with often on email, they kind of figure out how you do email. There was something that was really important to me in my last job before Relay. First of all, I use separate email apps like like you do for that, had, you know, work email sequestered in its own application. But if I was working after 5 p.m., I set those messages to send in the morning. You know, just because I'm, you know, still at work at 6.30 p.m. doesn't need, my client doesn't need to know that because that does set some level of expectation that I'm around after five o'clock. And just because it's true one day doesn't mean it's going to be true the next. Yeah. I literally was just going to mention this as something that I've, I've done. And, and, you know, the, um, it's actually a, a feature request that I put in for the Mindstream folks, but apparently the API doesn't have any way to access the, the scheduled part of it, but MailMate can do it. MailMate, you can set, you know, when you want a message to send, but your email client has to be open, but it's something where I'll go to the, the Gmail interface and just say, you know, schedule send tomorrow yep. morning at eight. And that I think is a great way to say, and I'm sure all of us have had this experience, you know, when you email somebody, if somebody emails you and you email them right back, you're going to get a third email, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to respond back to your response. So I've yeah. even done it for that, where I've set my response to go back out in like an hour or so, because I want to respond and it's important, but I don't want to get into a whole thing about it if we don't need to. And that, like, if you get behind on email, that becomes a trap too, because then you respond to a bunch of email, but then you just generated just as much email. And uh, it is a challenge, but um, I think you're, uh, you've got a pretty healthy attitude toward it and it seems like you, you found your peace. Yeah, it's really, a, I think, a necessary survival tool for pastors and I suspect for a lot of folks is to figure out what your balance can be with email because it's not going away. I mean, for any number of these different tools that have come around that have tried to replace it, you know, I get as much email, if not more than I've ever gotten before. So um, we definitely have to come to decide what we're going to do with it and what we're going to allow it to do to us. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by Indeed. What's a game where no one wins? It's the waiting game. When it comes to hiring, don't wait for great talent to find you. Find them first with Indeed. 
Because when you're hiring, you need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. So instead of spending hours on multiple job sites bouncing around searching for candidates with the right skills, you can use Indeed's powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. Indeed streamlines hiring with powerful tools that find you matched candidates. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resume on Indeed matches their job description the very moment they sponsor a job, according to Indeed Data US. Indeed's hiring platform really is awesome because candidates you invite to apply, get this, they are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in search, again, according to U.S. Indeed data. Even better, Indeed is the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements, making it an unbelievably powerful hiring platform, delivering four times as many hires as all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest 2019. So join more than the 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash MPU. This offer is only good for a limited time. So go to Indeed.com slash MPU. That's I-N-D-E-E-D. Indeed.com slash MPU to claim your $75 credit and to show them that you support this show by saying you heard about it on the podcast. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Our thanks to Indeed for their support of the show and Relay FM. TJ, you've been on the show several times, but something we've never talked to you about is how you use your iPhone. We always get into the super nerdy Mac automation stuff, but I know you've got some some cool tricks on your iPhone too. So tell us what you're doing. Okay, the smartest thing I've ever done on my iPhone is set up repeating reminders every year to call people on their birthday. Um, members of my congregation, uh, I it, it took me you know an afternoon to go through the. Uh, we've got a computer program at, at the church that lists people's birthdays. Some of them only give me the month and the and the day and not the year, and that's fine. I don't need to know how old people are. Um, but I went through and I set up reminders with their phone numbers in do. And do actually makes this really easy now. You can insert a contact into that do field. It'll pull up the contacts field, and you can just tap the phone number on there. It will automatically insert that. When that reminder comes up and you swipe to clear it, it will say, do you want to call this number, or do you want to message, text message this number? And So at about quarter past six on any day where there's a birthday, I get a little pop-up. It says, it's so-and-so's birthday. I tap the thing. It says, you want to call them? I say, yes. I call them a bunch of times they get an answering machine and I just wish them a happy birthday on their answering machine. But you know, the times that I do get people on their phone, they're thrilled that their pastor called them on their, on their birthday. We talk for a couple minutes. They're never long phone calls. Um, although sometimes every now and again, I find out, you know, something that's been going on in somebody's life that I had no idea about because I called them on their birthday. Uh, and I, I honestly think it's one of the biggest things I've done for my ministry, and it's literally the easiest thing that I do. <laughs> um, but people really like it. And um, there's an app called Card Hop that's put out by the FlexiBits folks, the mm-hmm. people who make Fantastic Hal. 
they have a, if you open their app on the iPhone, it's got a celebrations tab and it will list you all of the birthdays and anniversaries you've got in your contacts. And again, you're, it's linked to the contacts. So you can, with a couple of taps, call people. You don't even have to go through the do app if you've got card hop. And it's just, I don't know, to me, it's, it's a special touch. It's an extra event. It's not an email. I mean, it's, you know, I don't know how many folks wished me happy birthday on, on Facebook, which was nice, but a couple of people called me on my birthday and that was just so much nicer. Yeah. It feels so anonymous when it's an email. Right. Right. So I think having a phone is worth it for that, for that alone. So that's, that's been one of my, one of my big tips, especially for pastors or, you know, other people, I don't know, maybe, maybe it works for anybody. I don't know, but definitely for pastors, I think it's just a, you know, you've got to be pastoring a certain size congregation. I mean, if, you know, there was a thousand member congregation, I suppose I couldn't do it, but our congregation is not as big as, as that. So, um, you know, I don't have, don't have that worry, but, uh, it's a, uh, it's a neat little, I was going to say it's a neat little trick, but it's not a trick. It's just reaching out to people and telling them to care about them. Mm-hmm. I imagine you have a lot of contacts to manage. Are you using groups? Are you, is it just a giant mess? How do you go about that? <laughs> yes, I've got about 800 contacts on my phone. Um, and I've got congregation members. I've got family members of congregation members because you never now and again, someone will call me because you know, their mom or dad is sick or, you know, in the hospital and uh, being able to keep, keep that contact is important. I do have a lot of groups. I've got one group that's congregation members, like all my congregation members. And then I've got groups for committees. So I can email, you know, just that committee, just those committee members. So I, I make a big use of groups on my on my phone. And I'm always afraid that, uh, you know, something's going to happen. I'm going to lose all my groups that I've put my time into. But um, contact syncing has been really reliable the last several years now. So it used to be a little bit sketchier, but it, now it seems to work great. And I haven't had any issues with duplicates or anything like that for a long time. So, um, I do have a lot of, lot of groups. I wish focus modes would allow me to just select a group. I know David, you've, you've hit that drum a few times and I'm right there with you because when I set a focus mode and I don't want to let anybody get in touch with me. One of the things I do have to worry about is that sometimes I get a phone call because somebody's dying and you'd hate to miss that phone call because yeah, I was in a focus sure. mode. Yeah. <laughs> um, now I'm really in real, in reality that doesn't happen all that often, but I'm always concerned about it. At one time is, is, is horrible, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's all, I, that's all you need really. And you know, as much as I might complain about how much email I get, a phone call is usually, you know, something more urgent, more important. And I, I, I try to, I want to be available to those, as I suspect you probably wanted to be available to your, uh, to your clients when you were doing the law stuff. And honestly, I'm really blessed that my congregation does not abuse my, my phone. Um, I, you know, email is our primary method of communication. Uh, there are some people who will text me, um, which is also fine, but a phone call is usually something that marks this as, hey, this is important. And one of the things that I've learned, again, I don't know if this qualifies as a trick or a tip or what, but every now and again, I'll get an email and I'll think to myself, you know, this email, instead of replying to this email, I need to pick up the phone and make a phone call because either there's a, a miscommunication that's happening or, you, of course, you don't get tone of voice, so you don't 
always yeah. know, you know, could, there could be two ways of interpreting what's being said here. And I just want to get your, I, I want to talk to you. And so I can hear the inflection in your voice and hear, are you, are you frustrated? Are you angry? Are you sad? Are you, you know, what's going on with you? Um, and I think that's a, an important skill to be able to develop too, is to know when, uh, when email is the wrong, uh, platform and when a phone call would be, um, and like most people, you know, I, I joke about, you know, the, the phone app is the least used app on my phone, even though that's, uh, you know, one of the primary, it's the primary name of the thing. Yeah, it's in the name. Yeah. It's in the name. But, uh, but as far as importance goes, it's hard to oversell how important the phone is for those times when it does need to be, uh, does need to be used. I, I have found an intermediary step there too, by accident. Um, I signed up for a Loom account for the labs where I do some stuff in the labs with Loom. And also it was good for kind of the people that are helping me to make videos, to show them stuff when we need to do a customer support thing or whatnot. And, but then I started getting emails. Sometimes I get emails from people that are, are kind of personal in nature or something where I want to give a more personal reply. And like you say, text is very one dimensional. So now I just make the Loom videos and send them to them sometimes to a reply to an email. And uh, they're very easy to make. You push one button, then it embeds a link, and it's off. And uh, and I have found that also to be kind of something in the middle of picking up the phone and calling somebody or just writing text back to them. That's a really nifty tip. I hadn't thought about that. I've, I've yeah. got a Loom account, but I haven't uh, I haven't used it for that. Yeah. Well, I mean, with your, with your flock, I would imagine – a loom video wouldn't be enough. You should probably call them, but you know, there's sometimes it's someone you don't know that well. And, but you do want to send a personal message. I don't know. There's something there. I think the, yeah. the, the other thing is you have, so you've got um, a, a kind of a, a, a phone number for your church and you have a personal phone number and someone told you that to carry two phones would happen when they told you that. <laughs> yeah. One of my first days when I arrived here, they handed me this Android phone and said, here, the church gives you this, like it was a present. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I I said, oh, no, thank you. Uh, I have my own phone. And they're like, well, the previous pastor was kind of hard to get a hold of. So we, you know, we we got this, so we'd always have a way to get in touch with you. And that, you know, goes back to some other issues that they had with this other person or whatever. But um, (laughs) I very quickly said, you know, n- no thank you to that. And I originally set up a Google Voice account with a local phone number so people would have, you know, something, you know, they would recognize as a local, I'm in Plattsburgh, New York. They would lo- recognize as a local Plattsburgh, New York phone number. But um, I recently changed that over with the iPhone uh, to be a dual SIM in my phone uh, instead of using Google Voice. Google Voice is great. It's free. One of the, it's one of the best parts about it. And and Google seems to have forgotten that it exists and hasn't canceled it. So that's another great part of it. But I wanted to be able to use all the default apps and and get all the the integration features that are built into the to, into iOS when I was dealing with all my church folks because that's the bulk of what I do. And you can set up a default when you've got a default SIM uh, when you've got a dual SIM rather you can set up which one is going to be the default number. And so I set that up for my Plattsburgh number and you can set up on a per contact basis. Like when I call my mom, I always want to call her from my personal number that it's going to be my number forever. And that's the number she's got in her phone and it's going to show up on her caller ID as me. Um, 
But when I'm calling people locally, I, you know, use my, my Plattsburgh number. Uh, it works for text as well. I can text them from my church number. Uh, and it looks to them as, you know, the same thing as it, it always has. Uh, but it's, you know, it just gives me a way to separate them. And you can actually disable one of your sims. Like, I'm going to go on, on vacation for a month. And, uh, you know, if I was in a different situation, I might think about just disabling my secondary sim. Yeah. Um, it's really nice to have two phone numbers. Again, kind of like the email thing, having that division of, uh, you know, work and work in private life, work and personal life. Uh, th- there's just something to that ability to, to segregate those out. And, uh, you know, one of the things with pastors is we do end up moving. Uh, and my long-term friends, my, my sort of personal non-church friends, I don't want to, you know, I want them to be able to make sure they can contact me. And I've got a, I've got a, uh, personal phone number that's not going to change. That's going to be mine for the rest of my life, hopefully. And, uh, but I can have a local number here that makes fo- folks feel comfortable. And, uh, it was just a, a neat experience to me. And I, I'm surprised how well, uh, Mac, uh, iOS handles it. And there's not really a lot talked about in there. I just kind of had to uh, feel my way around and, and figure it out. But you can set things like which one's going to handle your default data so you don't have to have data accounts, you know, big data accounts or unlimited data accounts on both of them. The biggest downside, of course, is the price. Um, you know, you're paying for a sec- second cell phone account, but I've got, you know, I'm fortunate in that I've got a professional expenses account that I can cover this because because they were expecting to be paying for a cell phone bill. Um, I just sort of sm- switched that over into my dual SIM. So my phone now has T-Mobile and Verizon on it, which also means I've pretty much guaranteed to have coverage wherever I go. Yeah. And setting it up, I mean, one of the reasons I want, I definitely wanted to talk about this during today's show because we've never mentioned it in all these shows, and it really has got a lot easier. If somebody's listening and wants to do this with their phone, how do you get started? Well, what I did uh, is I actually used, uh, T-Mobile had a an app you could download to use their eSIM. Uh, my, my 12 has a, a physical SIM and an eSIM on it. I, I think the 14 just has eSIM, doesn't it? Or is that going to be the 15? But um, I just downloaded this app. Um, I tri- tried T-Mobile for a while, and the, I had good coverage there. I went into, uh, or I called up T-Mobile and told them that I wanted to have uh, an account on there, and I did everything over the phone. Didn't even have to go to a store or anything like that. Um, and they were able to activate it, you know, do everything uh, on the phone over, over the internet. Uh, and it was really simple. I mean, it took probably 30 minutes for the whole thing to, to be taken care of from the time I started thinking about it until the time I was done and, and had this thing. And uh, then you just, you know, have a, a phone and it rings just just like you would expect. Yeah. And, and it is that easy. That's the point I wanted to make. If you've been holding off on this, you should just go do it. Absolutely. And again, it, you know, it might be something you, you try and find out that it's not for you or, you know, it might be something you try for a while. Or, <laughs> I, I would almost, you know, I, I know you both have gone through buying a new car lately. My mother still gets phone calls from uh, car dealerships. She bought her, her last car several years ago, but she can't seem to get off the list. It'd almost be worth it to have a temporary phone number for when you're buying a new car if you're dealing with some of these places, but... Yeah, set up a burner for one month. Yeah, I get a burner it. <laughs> for for a month type of thing. 
but again, for for people who want to, um, for me, I, I initially thought I was going to want to divide my life more than I really wanted to. I, I do like this separation. I like having both the numbers, uh, but it is such an easy thing that, you know, it, it's really no more difficult than managing one. You know, you go in, when I set up a new contact, I just go in and set their default number if I want to. Uh, otherwise, it'll set to the default for the for all calls, which is my Plashberg number, and then it just works. And I can use the Messages app, and I can use the phone app, and I'm not having to you know do anything weird to get my incoming or outgoing phone numbers. The caller ID is the other big thing that that works. You know that that's the thing that I really wanted when I called somebody. I wanted to make sure that you know my my local Plattsburgh number was showing up for my Plattsburgh calls, and my personal number was showing up for my personal friends and things like that. Well, if I was practicing law still, I would set this up today because I, I had a lot of intermingling going on there mm-hmm. and this would have, but this, this just wasn't as easy back then and now it is. So you've been informed. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Electric. Unbury yourself from IT tasks and get a free pair of Beats Solo 3 wireless headphones when you schedule a meeting. Just go to electric.ai slash MPU. When leading your small business, it's not all glamour. In fact, sometimes it's a matter of spending hours onboarding an employee, which you're well-equipped to deal with, but maybe you don't have time for. The team at Electric knows small businesses, maybe like yours, face these challenges, and that's why they're on hand to help with the time-consuming parts of your business, like standardized device security with best-in-class device management software, so you can implement the best practices across the board and be ready to scale and employee onboarding and offboarding done for you, saving you an average of eight hours per request. Plus, Electric will help you keep a single point of visibility into your IT environment to control your devices, networks, and applications. Their simplified reporting allows you to achieve and maintain compliance, and proactive IT recommendations and automated workflows make IT easy to manage for even non-technical users. And if you're hearing this and you think your company could use some of these services, but you're not sure where to start, Electric's experts will guide you through the process of establishing standardized IT procedures for your organization. Now, I know a lot of people listening to the show are pretty savvy and you understand computers and you probably understand a lot of IT, but the thing is IT keeps changing. And unless you're spending all your time keeping up with it, you really do need a professional to help you. And by the way, if you're spending all your time keeping up with it, you're not doing the rest of your business, which really is your job. And the good news is Electric understands that. If you are a savvy user, they can talk to you and explain in more detail exactly what they're doing and why, and you can make informed decisions. Now, for Mac Power Users listeners, Electric is offering a free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones for taking a qualified meeting. Just go to electric.ai slash mpu. Once again, that's electric.ai slash MPU. Go there now to get your free pair of Beats Solo 3 headphones today for scheduling a meeting. And our thanks to Electric for their support of the Mac Power users. So TJ, I was in the Google Doc, you know, running up to this this episode. And all of a sudden, a topic named Weekend Wednesday showed up. What's this about? (laughs) This is not my idea, I have to admit. This is CGP Gray made a video where he talked about how five days is just a lot of days to work together and how, if you take one of the weekend days and you stuck it in the middle of the week, AKA Wednesday, 
then you have two days where you're working and then three days in his case where, uh, so you have two days when you're working a day off on Wednesday and then three days when you're working and then a day off. Well, I set mine up a little differently. Of course I'm working on Sundays. That's, you know, sort of my big day. So I work, um, I work from home on Monday. I work in the church office on Tuesday. I take Wednesday off. I'm in the church office on Thursday. I work from home on Friday. I take Saturday off. And let me tell you, it took a little bit of work to set this up. I had a couple of meetings that met on Wednesdays. But after I set this up, I love this. Again, this is not something everyone's going to be able to do. Gray was joking that, you know, when he put this idea out that people were going to say, well, that's fine for Gray. Um, And maybe some people will be like, well, that's great for TJ. Uh, But it works great. It's less disruptive in a sense. I used to either take Friday. I've taken a couple of different days. For a while, I used to take Thursday off as my day off. I've taken Friday as my day off to try to get, you know, two days together with Friday and Saturday. Mm -hmm. But I found that I was working on Friday. I was usually working on my sermon on Friday. So I wasn't really getting that day off. And it's easier to work more intensely on Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday when you've had a break in the middle. It's like you're, you've got that beginning of the week energy twice each week instead of once that has to last you for five days. And there's a great YouTube video that Gray put out about it. I would encourage folks to, to look at it. It's only a couple of minutes long. And he outlines it perfectly and talks about this, you know, kind of energy level and things like that. Um, one of his big features was that on the, the Saturday that he was working, uh, because other people weren't working, he could really get focus time on that. Uh, for me, one of the big deals is because I'm working, I'm not working on Wednesday and everybody else is, I can do all the things I can do, go grocery shopping or I can go see a movie, go see a movie in the middle of the week. And actually one of our movie theaters has $5 movies on Wednesdays. And it feels like I'm playing hooky, even though it's my like legitimate day off. And you do work every Sunday. Yes. Every Sunday, rain or shine. Yeah. <laughs> And that's, you know, and that's a a big part of, you know, why this works for me is because in my job, I was expected to take uh, a day off during the week. Now, most of the pastors in previous years at this church always took Monday as their day off. I've never taken Monday as my day off because it always felt like I would still be so, you know, focused on what the upcoming week anyway, that I wouldn't really get a day off on Monday. So it took a little bit of adjustment from people to learn. And, but again, there's a note in the bulletin that says, Pastor Tim's day off is Wednesday. And it's been okay. It's been, you know, I, I've got people, again, I don't respond to my email on Wednesday. Every now and again, I have to say to somebody, oh, gee, I just saw this because I, you know, it was off of my email yesterday. I was off yesterday. And nobody has minded. It's been a really, um, it's been a really good thing for me and a good thing for my focus and energy levels as I go through the week. Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense to compact work where you can. I mean, this is something David and I have both been doing, I think mostly behind the scenes, but I know in our conversations, you know, trying to fit certain tasks into certain days. And I think that's applicable to, to really a lot of different type of work and a lot of different type of people. So for us, one thing we changed is we used to have 
the MPU planning call on Thursdays. Well, that was the only thing usually either of us had to do with MPU on on Thursdays, other than, you know, sort of the the background hum of episode prep, which is ongoing. So we moved that call to Tuesdays before we sit down with our guests to record. And it's, you know, it's a small thing, but now, you know, we both know like Tuesdays, MPU day. And it's, uh, I try not to do anything else on those days. And it's, it's proven to be helpful. I think everyone, or at least a lot of people have examples of that in their own work, you know, things that are under your control in the schedule that maybe if you make one or two changes, yeah, you're probably not going to the grocery store on Wednesday like, like TJ is, but maybe it, it better aligns things on your schedule for other reasons. I think that's so true. And I, I often think that we're worried that, you know, oh, well, you know, this thing is on Thursday and it's always been on Thursday. So therefore, you know, it can't ever change. And, you know, when I suggested changing, one of the the biggest thing we had to change is our elders meeting uh, was once a month on a Wednesday. And <laughs> I thought, you know, oh, this is going to be the big one. This is going to be the one that I can't change. So it, I was almost resigning myself to, okay, well, one week a month, I'm not going to be able to take Wednesday off. And I suggested, you know, in a private conversation, just one-on-one with someone talked about, you know, I wanted to take Wednesday off and said, they said, oh, we always used to meet on Tuesday until the previous pastor couldn't meet on Tuesday. So we met on Wednesday. And all of a sudden I went, oh, this isn't like carved in stone somewhere that it has to be on Wednesday. And now we've moved it and everyone adapted and nobody died. You know, it was just one of these things where uh, it wasn't nearly as big of a deal as I thought it was going to be. And it does, you know, lining these things up. And I've done this with my own life as far as my, the flow of the work that I do talk sort of like what you were talking about with your call with David is on Monday. I know there are certain things I'm going to do to do sermon preparation. And it's going to go like that through the week. And, and um, you know, I've, I've been fortunate that I've been able to make some of these changes, but I bet a lot of people could make them if they tried and maybe not everything would work, but maybe some things would. And, you know, getting that clumping together, I think has big advantages. Totally. And and I do think that a lot of times things that you think are big friction points turn out not to be, just like your elder meeting. I, I think a lot of people listening are like, well, there's one thing, there's no way I could move it. And guess what? If you try, you might find it's a lot easier than you thought. I am. Um, I can't do weekend Wednesdays because my wife's job now, she gets Saturdays and Sundays off and, you know, I want to spend time with my sweetheart. So I try to, to have the same days, but, but I have kind of done this, like Stephen was saying, um, of trying to be more intentional about making days dedicated to certain things. And one of the things I have sort of landed on is making Mondays and Tuesdays kind of the days that I deal with other humans and in terms of work. And so uh, I we do a lot of podcast recording then. I do a lot of meetings on those days. But then that leaves Wednesday, Thursday, Friday for me to create content for field guides and laps. And it really, it, it, when I can stick to that, I am so productive, you know. And and one of the beauties that I've discovered that I didn't really see when I started this is when people want to commit to do a call with me or something, I just say, okay, you got to get a Monday or Tuesday, and the next time I have time available is two weeks from Tuesday, and it just works. And people are like, okay, that's fine. And then I'm able to largely keep that stuff contained in those days. And, you know, that's part of my job. I want to spend time talking to people, but I also want to make stuff. And if I let, you know, calls with other people happen on any any old day, 
before you know it, I'm not making anything. Yeah, I, I think people would be surprised how how much respect people are willing to have if, again, you kind of set the parameters of, you know, the, it goes back to the old adage of, you know, we, we teach people how to treat us. Yeah. You know, if people learn that, you know, this is how my schedule is and, you know, it's different if it's an emergency. But again, I think a lot of times we pre-assume the emergency. Yeah. Obviously, if somebody's in the hospital, you know, dying on a Wednesday, I'm going to the hospital on a Wednesday. Um, you know, that's just something I'm going to do, but you know what, that hasn't actually happened in the you know year and a half I've been doing this. And so I know it's a, I know I'm available. They know I'm available, but at the same point, they, they're respectful of the, the time off that I've had. And, uh, it's been really great. So I understand hospitals, but what about shotgun weddings? I mean, sometimes <laughs> that may, may have to happen on a Wednesday, you know, right? <laughs> the, the age demographic of my congregation does not involve a lot of shotgun weddings. All right. Okay. I just wanted to <laughs> set the record straight. So as you know, we like to wind down these interviews with some, uh, some favorites, favorite apps and services, things that are bringing you joy. You came with quite the list, uh, but let's start with a lossless cut. This is something that's new to me. Yeah, this is actually replacement for QuickTime 7 Pro, which died in the uh, 32-bit apocalypse a few years back. Uh, one thing that QuickTime 7 Pro could do that uh, the, um, the new version of QuickTime doesn't do is cuts in the middle of, you know, you can trim stuff off the beginning of the end in QuickTime, uh, but the QuickTime 7 could do, you know, cuts in, in between. Uh, Lossless Cut is a free uh, application. It's, I think it's an Electron app because it works on Windows and Mac and things like that. It's not beautiful, but I'm not using it for a long time. Um, one of the things I use this for is to edit the Zoom video uh, every week from worship. Uh, we post that for people who weren't able to see it, uh, weren't able to, to join the Zoom call. Uh, and again, I'm cutting it down to, uh, I actually post two videos. One is the full service and one is just the sermon. And uh, this is a free tool, and it allow you to, to do those trims on uh, a bunch of different uh, file formats. It's actually using FFmpeg underneath the, the hood. So uh, FFmpeg is a really powerful program that's really complicated to use um, if you're not familiar with how to use it. And I'm somebody who's not of, I've used a couple of different tools that uh, are front ends to it, and, and this is one that uh, I have found that just, I haven't found anything else like it. Uh, I actually learned about this one when I was looking for a QuickTime 7 replacement. And, and it's been great. You can find it on GitHub under Lossless Cut. All right. Another one on your list. I think we might have mentioned it, but it, it deserves another mention is Downey. Tell us what you're doing with that one. Oh, I absolutely love Downey. Downey is the, is the app that just makes me happy. Whenever I find a video online that I want to keep, I throw it to Downey and Downey downloads it. It doesn't matter what site it's from, Downey can download it. Um, it's down, I-E is how you spell it. It's from Charlie Monroe, who's a great developer, who's done some other stuff as well, but I think this is probably the app he's best known for. Uh, and it's updated all the time. Uh, and it, all it does is download videos. And whether that's a, a YouTube video or something that you found on some random website, it works great. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I can throw things into my Plex server and, and have them for later viewing. 
I and I love this because it's the great killer of algorithms because you just download the videos you want to watch and you don't get sucked into like the YouTube vortex. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's available on set app too. One thing I do with it is uh, it has some post-processing options and one is just give me the audio. And sometimes I'll come across interviews on YouTube that like, I don't need to watch. Maybe I want to listen, you know, on my phone later and I'll export the audio and then upload that to uh, overcast on the web for listening later. And it's, it's a fantastic way to like blast through some interviews that don't necessarily need to be video. Yeah, that's a great idea. And that, that's something that I've done as well is, you know, when I don't need two talking heads looking at each other, I, I'd much rather throw something into overcast. Another one on your list is a first timer to the Mac power users shortcut. Yeah, this was, this app was around for a while. And then, the developer got like sidetracked into a whole bunch of different projects and, and I thought it was dead. I, and actually Federico mentioned it a few weeks ago on connected. And I was really happy to see that it had, it had regained life. Um, and shortcut uh, is kind of like shortcut. It allows you to interact with things on the screen without using the mouse. Uh, it's kind of hard to explain. If you go to the website, it's got a little video or a little GIF that shows you how it works, and you just start typing things and it identifies things on the screen that you might want to click click on. Uh, and it's a fun little app. Uh, it's uh, one that I'm just starting to reuse because like I said, it was, it was uh, resting for a long time and I thought it was a dead parrot, but I'm glad to find out that it was, it was not. The short, the short cat lives. Yes. <laughs> give us an example of where you're using it. Just to give people context. Sure. Uh, one of the things I'll often like to do with it is when I've got a bunch of buttons on a screen, like I'll, I use it for, I used to be able to use like one through nine on my bookmarks in yeah. uh, Safari. I think you can still do this, but I think I've got more than nine up there now. And so, you know, I can just type my bookmark and it'll click the bookmark for me, um, you know, or, or click a button on the, on the screen type of thing that uh, anytime I want to do that where, and I, again, I'm, I, I don't know if it actually saves me time, but I like using my keyboard more than my mouse. So uh, more than my trackpad too. So it's just a, anytime you want to interact with something, anytime you want to click a button or something like that on screen real quick without getting into, uh, you know, mousing over to it. Another one of my favorites on your list is name wrangler. Yeah. Name <laughs> Name Angler is a great app, and I, I had it for a long time, and it was one of these uh, uh, by Many Tricks, the company ManyTricks.com, and there are lots of these apps around. I think Name Angler is one of the better ones of, I've got a bunch of files, and I want to rename them, and I always thought to myself, well, I, you know, I'm a command line guy. I can do this in the terminal, and then I made a mistake one day and rewrote about 12 files to all have the same name. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought he was going to say I rewrote twelve thousand file names because that you could do that as well. You could terminal. do that too, oh, yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so I ended up overwriting all these files onto one file, which, uh, as you may have guessed, didn't work out too well for me. Mm -mm. Um, so yeah, but it it bulk renames files. It will let you you know sequence them if you want or do all sorts of transformations. And one of the things I love is that you can sort of stack up steps along the way and it'll show you what the, you know, if you do these rules, this is what you'll end up with. 
and it has an undo feature. And let me tell you, that undo feature is worth its weight in gold because if you ever go through something and you do something wrong, you can't undo on the command line. <laughs> uh, so this has been a, a, a butt saver for me. And I, I no longer try to do this on my own. Well, one of the notes uh, TJ wrote in the outline gang, it says many tricks apps, if they make it, I buy it. And you know what? I agree. I think many tricks is one of the greatest little utility developers for the Mac. They're absolutely fabulous. I, I, I really do. I mean, I, I, they sell their apps non-subscription, but I, I feel like it's an auto pot, auto buy as soon as I see a new app of theirs pop up. Uh, I, I could, if you just go to manytricks.com and look around, I bet you'll find something that you like. You got any favorites here, Steven? I mean, I agree with TJ. They're all incredible. Uh, Moom, I think, is one that we talk about a lot. It's a window management where you can zoom and snap windows. Uh, there's a bunch of apps like that, but Moom is, is one of the, the better ones for sure. But yes, Name Mangler definitely gets a, a thumbs up for me as well. This is one of those things you can do in the Finder, like Finder has rename file, but it's very basic. And if you need to sort of upgrade that and be able to do more, wholeheartedly agree with the pick. Another one here on this list is Transloader, which pitches itself as a way to automatically have things download on your Mac, but starting them remotely from another device. So tell me some use cases for that. Oh, sure. This is, you know, just the one that often what I would do if I was on my phone or something and, you know, sort of reading my RSS slate and I'd, I'd, I'd see a, an app that I want to download, but I'm on my phone, so I can't download it. And so what I would usually do is stick it in a drafts note. And then the next time I'm at my Mac, I would open up drafts and copy the link and download the file. Well, instead of doing that, what I can do is I can copy the URL to download the app and put it in a transloader. And Transloader on my iPhone or iPad will send the link up to iCloud. And on my Mac, there's a little program. Transloader has a Mac, pro Mac program as well. And it will see that a new URL has been added. It will go to that URL and it will either download the file if it can, or if it can't, it will open the web page. So I come back to my Mac and the file is already downloaded. Or, you know, I wanted to read an article or something like that on my Mac. I come back to my Mac and the web page is right there. And I go, oh, right, I wanted to read that rather than having to you know, go and search something out or remember to do it later. Um, I've largely given up on read later because uh, I've realized that I file stuff away and I don't actually read it. <laughs> but if I want to read something on my Mac instead of my, my iPhone for some reason, uh, I'll use Transloader and just throw the page up there. Transloader also works with Downy. So if uh, I want to download a video from my, from my iPhone, I can send the, the URL of the YouTube link or whatever to Transloader, and it will throw it over to Downey and download the, the video there. So it'll be waiting for me when I get back. Very cool. Well, TJ, I'm so glad we were able to get you back on the show. It has been too long. And as always, you deliver the goods. Uh, so much interesting, nerdy stuff we talked about today. If people want to learn more, TJ, where do they find you? Well, I am on Mastodon. I've largely left Twitter as I think, well, we've all talked about that enough, but um, so <laughs> I am on Mastodon.social as TJ Luoma. Uh, I'm just starting out there. So if you're on Mastodon, want to say hi, that would be great. I've just started following a couple of people, but would love to find some more uh, MPU listener folks to be friends with on Mastodon. 
Um, I occasionally post, very occasionally post at rhymeswithdiploma.com, uh, or you can find me on the MPU forums. Uh, it's TJ Luoma there as well, and you can send me a message through that site as well. And that's at talk.macpowerengineers.com. Yes. Well, thank you so much, TJ. And also thank you to our sponsors, 1Password, Indeed, and Electric. We are the Mac Power users. You can find us at relay.fm slash MPU. And we'll see you next time.